Thank you, Rhonda, for He took my place, 
when some day, some glorious morning, I shall see him face to face, all because of God's amazing grace. Then with a ransomed around God's throne, we'll praise our Redeemer and King. We'll tell how His mercy for sin did atone. Through countless ages this song we'll sing. It was all because of God's amazing Because on Calvary's mountain he took my place And someday, some glorious morning I shall see him face to face All because of God's amazing Hello. If so, Miss Sharon Andrus is taking care of Children's Church this morning. Thank you, Miss Sharon. And on Mother's Day, you're being a mother to some little kiddos for a little while. Thank you so much. Well, all right. If you have your Bible, I've got two places for us to turn to this morning. First is 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. The second place is Proverbs 31. And uh, put your finger in Proverbs 31. We'll be there just briefly after we uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and Proverbs 31. Uh, this is such a, a fun day for, for some and for, for others. It can be a sad day if uh, a special mom or a special lady has passed on. We also know that... Um, Sometimes we idolize, idealize what mothers are and are like, and we forget, you know what? Parenthood is messy. Family life is messy, and life in itself is just messy, isn't it? And so in those messy kind of moments, it's nice to have a little levity, a little, a little humor. I've got a, a couple of things I want to read for you, and while you're finding your place in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in Proverbs 31, a couple of things I just want to read for you. This is called, the For the Mom Who Does Everything. Mom, I know you do the dishes, and I know you cook the food. I know you scrub down all the floors, even when you're in a bad mood. And every night you walk the dog while I'm watching all my shows. On Thursday, you take out the trash, and every spring you wash the windows. Mom, I know you're sad I'll go someday and leave you all alone. But right now, I'm only 35, so what other place could I call home? And then this next thing is, the mother who taught me everything, and you've probably heard some of this. My mother taught me logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you won't be able to go play with your friends. My mother taught me about health and physical health. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to stay that way. 
My mother taught me to think ahead. If you don't pass your spelling test, you'll never get a good job. My mother taught me about ESP. Put your sweater on. Don't you think I know that you're cold? My mother taught me to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk to me, back to me. My mother taught me about humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother also taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. Uh, my mother taught me about my roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? My mother taught me about the wisdom of age. When you get to be my age, you will understand. My mother taught me about receiving. You are going to get it when we get home. And my mother uh, also taught me about justice. One day I hope you have kids and they turn out just like you. In all honesty though, my mother, my grandmother taught me so much more. They taught me about faith. They taught me about a faith in Jesus Christ and for that I am thankful. Hopefully you have found your spot in our scriptures this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3 and Proverbs 31. And I know this is Mother's Day, and these scriptures don't exactly, especially 1 Peter chapter 3, are, they don't exactly point to just mothers. In fact, he addresses wives, and uh, I thought it was still fitting though. You see, in my family, especially my mother, she would always honor just women. Uh, my mother would give gifts to my daughter. My mother would give gifts. In fact, I'm sure my sister-in-law, who is not a mother at all, is getting a gift this, uh, this afternoon when she goes over to mom and dad's house. My mom just likes to honor women on Mother's Day, and I feel like uh, that's, that's what we can do, is we can talk about godly woman, the makeup of a godly woman. And there's a little play on words here, because in the scripture, Peter talks about adorning the outside, and instead adorning the inside, and you know, uh, most ladies like to adorn the outside with a little makeup. And of course, my mother was a wonderful artist of uh, driving with her knees to work while she put on her makeup in the mirror. And uh, sometimes I would hold the steering wheel because it just made me a little too nervous. But uh, she certainly adorned the outside, uh, the inside, much more than she adorned the outside. And and so uh, the makeup of a godly woman is is all about God uh, doing something with you. And so as we look at this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, you'll notice that Peter addresses wives. And I know not all wives are mothers, and not all mothers are wives, but there's, there's oftentimes the fact that women are just motherly, and they don't have to be a biological mother to, to come across motherly and to mother us. Uh, Dorothea is as much of a mother to me as, as, as uh, sometimes as she tells me what to do and what not to do. And I think the application of the scripture can go beyond just women as well. And there's certainly some application for husbands in this, an application for all of this, and certainly for young women as well. I want to simply use this day in this text to speak to our hearts and to speak to the hearts of moms, and hopefully this is going to be encouraging. Now, I want to plead with you to do me a favor, and this is a big one. Are you ready? Here's the favor. I need you to stay open-minded and let me completely go where this scripture takes us, because there's some words in the first verse and, and a little later on that's going to distract us, and some of us might get offended, and some of us might say, I can't believe he's preaching this scripture on Mother's Day, but trust me, 
I hope you have learned in five years of preaching here, I've never offended on purpose, not on purpose anyway, and I certainly have never preached sermons with a misogynistic type of viewpoint, you know, like it's all about the man and not about woman. So trust me in where I'm going and, and just let me go with this and uh, let me get to the end. And to that question, I simply want to state, you know, why are we talking about wives and why are we going to be mentioning this particular scripture? And I think because we definitely need it today. We need God's order in the household more than any other time, perhaps, in history, as we see families really crumble before our eyes, and we see the, the, the traditional family uh, crumble before our eyes. I don't know if you've read here recently, but uh, in just the last few days, we've begun marking children gender X, not male or female. Uh, moms and dads are marking, or dads and dads, or moms and moms are marking the gender of their children down as gender X. We'll let them decide as they go on in life, and uh, we just need God's influence on the house. Well, let's read First First Peter chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Speaking of prayer, let's pause a moment for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust that this is all divinely inspired, written by men, but inspired by you. It is true. Lord, it is trustworthy. It is applicable. It's authoritative to our life. If we would just trust you in its application. And Father, we're doing that this morning. Thank you for the hearts, the minds, and the understanding this morning. It's in your name we pray, Father. Amen. So he starts off, be submissive. And if we don't address it immediately, this will become the elephant in the room, right? And we won't be able to get past this, this little phrase, be submissive. Last week, I defined submission in this way. It is willingly yielding ourselves to the authority of another. The Greek word literally means to stand up underneath. And so to submit, we put ourselves under someone else. The last two sermons I've preached out of 1 Peter have all been about submission. It's been submission first to government authorities, submission to our bosses. No matter what they're like, we are to submit to their authority. Why now are we talking about wives to husbands? And to that question, I simply want to state that God wants this in Christian houses for the sake of order versus chaos. The man is to be the head of the house, especially in spiritual development and learning, teaching of the children. In fact, did you know, in Israelite culture, back in Old Testament times especially, once the child was weaned from mama, the child spent the majority of the day with dad, not with mom. 
Dad took care of his, their eating. Dad took care of his learning. Dad took care of not just him, but his and her, whatever gender the child was. It was usually the children and dad, and dad took care of their every need so that the wife could go and do the, the basic chores or household duties that she wanted and needed to do. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, so bear with me. But the issue with this command, be submissive, is not what the Bible is teaching. You hear me? You see, we curl back and the hairs bristle on our heads when we read this word. And I'll tell you, I, I, I looked at the timing of this and I thought, really, Lord, I was going to go do some sweet scripture that gives us all warm fuzzies. But I just really felt his leading. And I think it's because when we hear this word, boy, we get the world's idea of this word. This word. You see, the issue isn't what the Bible is teaching, but what our culture has unfortunately taught us about this word. And so very quickly, I want to help us understand what being submissive is not. Because we're not so confused about what it is, but we're confused about what it is not. Being, submissive, being submissive is not subservience, first thing. Being submissive is not subservience. You know what subservience is, right? I do whatever I'm told to do without question, without thinking, without anything. And this is played out in movies and all kinds of other media, but this is not what the Lord wills. And most godly husbands I know do not want a wife that just does what he says without question. My prayer as a young adult was, Lord, give me a wife that will challenge me and help me grow spiritually. It wasn't, Lord, give me a wife that does whatever I say. That's not how being submissive is, is defined or seen in the, in the Word of God. And I believe he answered that with a wife that calls me into a question sometimes to the point of embarrassment and discomfort. We won't go there this morning. What else being submissive is not is it is not subjection, not subjection. Now, sometimes submissive and subjection are seen as synonymous, but what I, what I mean by subjection is, is that you allow your husband to do whatever he wants to do to you. The husband is not a master and the wife the slave. And, and again, this is often played out in our media and in our culture as what a submissive wife is like, that she's lowly, quiet, passive, meek. And in this idea, what I mean is that the wife, she doesn't, she doesn't need to subject herself to whatever the husband wishes. And I'm speaking specifically to abusive situations, whether it being mental, emotional, or physical. Right now there's a lot of noise about this because of something a Baptist minister has recently, or said many, many years ago that is just now coming to light. And I think really he was uh, miscommunicated, he was misunderstood uh, when he told a wife of an unbelieving husband, when she asked him, what should I do? And he told her, go and pray for your husband. And when she came back to church with, with physical signs of abuse, it was seen that he counseled her wrongly. And that's been taken out of context, I believe. Listen, being submissive does not mean that you subject yourself especially your children, to that kind of atmosphere. Now, I'm not saying divorce a man that is abusive, but I am saying, ladies, you need to remove yourself, remove yourself from the situation, physically get out of that situation, call the authorities, call your family, call somebody with a baseball bat, get out of that, 
and find yourself and your children the protection that they need. Subjecting yourself to the tirades and temper tantrums of an idiotic spouse is not what God had in mind when he said, wives, be submissive. That's not at all what he meant. Just a third little point, and we could go on about this. Being submissive does not mean inequality. It does not mean that the woman is less than the man. Submissive does not mean for a moment that the husband is better than the wife. Wives should not be viewed as lesser than the husbands by anyone, not the children, not the husband, and not even by the wife. This was not God's intention when he said, wives, be submissive. Do you know how I know? Because the picture of submission is best seen in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three entities of the Holy Trinity, the three personas, if you will, the three persons of the Holy Trinity, all co-equal, all substantive in the same material. They are all fully God. They are all fully worthy of our worship. They are all fully worthy of our adoration. Yet what what we see in Scripture is God the Son willingly submitting to the authority of the Father. And God the Holy Spirit willingly submitting to the direction of the Son and the direction of the Father. That doesn't make them less. It's just a willing submission, a willing yield to the authority of the other. You know how else I know that these three things are not supposed to be uh, uh, synonymous with being submissive, the subjection, the subservience, and the inequality? It's because there are many biblical examples of godly women and boy, they are not subservient, they are not unequal, unequal, they are not uh, subjecting themselves to a, a terrible situation. I want you to flip over now to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. What Proverbs 31 contains, verses 10 through 31, is what's called the virtuous wife. Now some argue that this wasn't a real person, but this was Solomon's prayer for what his wife would be like. And I, if it's in Scripture, I, I certainly believe that this is the Word of God, inspired by God, written down by man. And so when I think about the possibilities of what a godly wife can be, this would be the upper echelon. This, this would be the goal, if you will. And thinking about this command in 1 Peter, be submissive, and how this coincides with this picture of a godly woman. I'm going to just read through the Scripture, verses 10 through 31. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, yet, yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for all her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. 
and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. Now, does this sound like a weak, passive, subservient woman to you? When I read through this, it doesn't sound like that to me. Just real briefly, we don't have time to really get into this, just this scripture, because I still want to go back to 1 Peter. Verses 14 through 15, she is an ambitious woman and a hard worker. She goes out and does the things that she wants to do. Verse 16, she's an entrepreneur. She starts her own businesses. Verse 17, she is described with strength, and specifically with physical strength. I kind of picture her pumping iron maybe, right? Listen, my wife is extremely physically strong because she toted four kids around in diaper bags. I mean, her purse along, I picked it up last week and threw my back out. That's what's really wrong with it. Verse 18, she is self-confident, confident in her own abilities, confident in her abilities to get things done. Verse 21, she's well prepared for any event that might come up. Verse 22, industrious. She is industrious and self-confident in her abilities to make things. Verse 23, she is such an amazing wife and mother. Her husband is well known in the city gates. For 20 years now, I have been blessed to have a wonderful wife, and most people either look at me or verbally say it, how in the world did you get her to marry you? You married above yourself. And I used to get a little offended about it, but now I'm like, well, I guess that's a mark of honor. I'm like the guy in the city gates, and everybody's like, wow, that guy landed Kathleen, right? I think my own parents prefer her to me. I'll be honest with you. In fact, I think she's so good, I just told her the other day, if you ever leave me, I'm coming with you. Verse 26, she is well-spoken. She's not a blabbermouth, constantly rambling on about everything. And when she does speak, what does it say? No ill will comes from her. Wisdom does. Verse 27, she is not lazy. Verse 28, get this, the whole house praises her. They sing her praises. They say wonderful things. The kids, the husband, they call her blessed, as in she is a blessing to us in every aspect of our lives. So please, please understand that while God is directing wives to be submissive, he is also saying, listen, this is the target for you. You don't have to be submissive. Uh, you don't have to be passive. You don't have to be subservient. I'm not, that's not what the command here is. So let's flip back over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and hopefully I've done a good enough job of explaining what being submissive is and is not, and how God views a godly wife and mother that we can move on and talk about what I see being a very sweet application lying underneath this scripture, the makeup of a godly woman. The makeup of a godly woman. And the, the first point, I want to give you three points real quickly. I have time this morning. Number one is this, a godly woman is able to witness for Jesus without saying a single word. Without saying a single word. Because we get so distracted by the word submissive, we sometimes miss the rest of the message of this scripture. Peter says, likewise. Did you catch that? He said, wives, likewise. What is the likewise? That's pointing back to something he's already talked about. Well, in the previous scriptures, 
verses 21 through 25, you know what he was talking about? He was talking about the payment that Jesus Christ made when he gave his life and paid the penalty for our sin. And so when he says, wives likewise, be submissive, he's talking about Jesus Christ who submitted himself to the, to the law or the, to, the, to the orders of his father. It was Christ who submitted to obedience, himself to obedience to the Father. It was Christ who submitted himself to the cruelty of men. It was Christ who submitted himself to death on a cross. It was Christ who submitted himself when his Father said, come forth. And one day it will be Christ who submits himself when his Father says, go get them. Go back and go get them. And so the call for wives to be submissive is not, again, a call for passivity or a call for subservience, but really it is a call for wives to imitate Jesus Christ himself. I can think of no greater imitation. I can think of no greater imitation that we can have with our lives that we imitate Jesus Christ. Too often we try to imitate the wrong things. Tabloids in the supermarket, dramas on television, and the public lives that we see on social media give us an unrealistic idea of what life is supposed to be like. The all-put-together mother, it's not right. Realistically, we know life is a mess. Life is tough. Life is hard. That's the real truth, right? Consumerism has displayed this unrealistic idea of womanhood and motherhood. It makes it unattainable. And if that's you this day, mothers, I want you to hear the call of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. You're not supposed to attain to what everybody else is doing. Here's my simple call. Be like me. Be like Jesus Christ. Be the image of Christ. He gave us the best example of all. The promise of Scripture is that in submitting to the authorities, in submitting to our bosses, it will be a witness, and this is true also for wives, that it will be a witness if your husband is lost. It will be a witness even if your husband is saved and he's just a weak believer. It will be a witness to them. Here Peter says that husbands may be won to salvation without a word. Through the witness of a godly woman, Many a husband has been led back or led to Jesus for the very first time through the witness, the nonverbal witness of their wife. Listen, it's not going to be done through nagging. It's not going to be done through preaching. It's not going to be done through taking a sermon on a CD home and playing it on the radio really loud. It's going to be done by your chaste conduct and living a godly life for that husband to see. That idea of chaste conduct just means being pure or being praiseworthy. The, the, the word fear that he talks about is not in relation to the husband. It's fear in relation to the Lord, which if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 17, conducting ourselves in fear is something that all believers are supposed to do. Conducting ourselves in fear to the Lord. It's an attitude of worship. It's an attitude of reverence. It's an attitude of awe. When your lost husband sees you, living a life in respect to the Lord and praising only God, it will influence him is the promise of this scripture. It may not happen soon, but it will happen is, is the promise here. You see, it's the character and conduct of a wife that will win a lost husband. Not arguments, not guilting. It is the kindness, the goodness, the humility, the patience that cannot be manufactured by your own efforts, but can only come as fruit from the Spirit living in you. You are able to witness without saying, 
a single word. Number two, the makeup of a godly woman is able to honor God from the inside out. Godly women are able to honor God from the inside out. I want to make sure we see and hear verses 3 through 6 correctly. He talks about outside uh, ornaments. He's talking about your hair. He's talking about uh, uh, jewelry. He's talking about accessorizing and all that stuff. I, I want to make sure we understand that Peter is not condemning the wearing of jewelry or makeup. Unfortunately, there's been many a sermon and pastors and denominations that have preached that women, you're not supposed to wear makeup and you're not supposed to do your hair and all this and that. That's not what this is saying. That's not what this is saying at all. In fact, it, it almost alludes to the point of, in addition, in addition to whatever you do on the outside, make sure you adorn yourself on the inside. And we best adorn ourselves on the inside when we submit ourselves to God's leadership in our life. Listen, every husband is pleased to have a wife that is beautiful on the outside. But we all know, as we ourselves look in the mirror, that looks fade. One day I look in the mirror and I'm going to say, dude, I am ugly. But you know what doesn't fade is an inner beauty, an inner ornament, an inner dressing up. And every husband I know loves their wife for what's on the inside. Every husband I know that I have personal friends with love their wife because of what they're made up of on the inside. My kids will tell you the same thing. What really matters about their mother is that she is adorned on the inside. They love her because she loves them. They honor her because of her goodness. And I honor her because she is a gracious wife to me. Peter closes out verse 6, pointing us to the example of Sarah. There's another biblical example of what a submissive yet very independent woman is like. She's a character, and I invite you to go and read through Genesis 12 through, hmm, what is it, 30-something about Sarah and Abraham. Yes, the Bible says that she calls him Lord, but she was also a heck of a character. Why is this saying this? Is this really wanting us to have our wives call us Lord? I could not think of anything more embarrassing than if my wife was to start calling me Lord. Please let it not be so. That's not what this is saying at all. This isn't Peter's point. Here's his point, real quick. Abraham was a horribly imperfect husband. He was a liar. He was an adulterer. When his wife suggested, you have a child with my handmaiden, he was more than happy to fulfill the request, right? He, he uh, was a horrible father to his illegitimate son, Ishmael, afterward. Yet when she called him Lord, the people believed it. Here's what I'm saying. Whatever you call your spouse, will other people believe it? When you call them sweetie, will other people believe it because of how you talk about them when they're not around? When you call them the love of your life, will other people believe it when, the other, when, when other people are around because of how you talk when your husband is not around? You see, we're able to honor God from the inside out when we show kindness from the inside out to those around us, especially your husband. Number three, very quickly, the makeup of a godly woman is able to strengthen her husband's relationship with God just by being herself. I love verse 6. There's a lot of meat there, and I want to try to unpack it as quickly as I can. It's a directive, really, to husbands, and to me it shows just how important a good wife and a mother is because she cares for my relationship with Christ as much as I do. And so, as I said, I like that Kathleen keeps me accountable, that she challenges me, and she holds me to a standard. But what Peter says here in verse 7 is that there is a standard that we as husbands are to hold that can affect our relationship with God. 
And what I mean that is that a godly wife is able to strengthen her husband's relationship with just by being herself. Men, God gave you this wife just as she is, for better or worse. And if we do not honor them, treating them as the gift of God that they are, God will not hear your prayers. That's tough right there. That's tough. That goes right along with the psalm that tells us that if I hold, certain, if I hold any sin within my heart, if I, if I uh, 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 honor that sin in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. Now, I don't know about you, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, part of the strength of my relationship with God is the belief that He always hears me. When I pray, He hears my prayers. And so it scares me to death to think that there is some way that I could treat my wife that would cause God to, to, to be deaf to my, to my prayers. It would cause God to close His ears to my prayers. That, that scares me to death. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like your prayers are just falling on deaf ears, you might want to ask yourself this question, how am I treating my wife? As to the weaker vessel that he talks about here in verse 7, it says, uh, uh, honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Not that she is necessarily, but for the most part, generally, our wives are physically weaker than men. For the most part. I mean, I don't know if I could tote around all those kids in a diaper bag and all of that, right? And this isn't talking, I don't believe, about spiritual or emotional strength or, or, or mental strength for that matter. But I want us to think about this for a second. If somebody is weaker, then how would you treat them? How would you live with them? Well, you would live with them in consideration of that, wouldn't you? You would consider them in those types of weaknesses and say, what can I do to live more considerately of this person? Well, we're talking about our wives. We're talking about mothers. We're talking about special ladies. So what does he say? He says four things in this one verse. I want to just real quickly unpack. Number one, how can we live with respect towards our wives in consideration of not really weakness, but they, if they were weak? Just bear with me. Number one, he says dwell with them. Dwell with them. Thinking about physical presence. Dad's, mom, dad's mom, moms need our presence. Moms need us there. They need our devotion. They need our, they need our presence. You know, it has been shown that the average married couple that have kids and both work have on average 34 minutes a day alone. All the rest of the time is devoted to kids and activities and work and fixing meals and everything else. They have 34 minutes. That's it. Now, most men will say, okay, doesn't really bother them. But would I be stretching it too far to say that that, that can stress a wife out? Would I, be, would, I, would I get some amens from the ladies if I said that women need more time than that? I heard a few amens. No wonder couples struggle after kids leave the house. And suddenly these two people are staring at each other like, I don't know you. I don't, we've only had 34 minutes a day together for the last 20 years, right? To them, love is spelled T-I-M-E, physical presence. As you dwell with them, men, we need to spend as much time as we can with our wives. He also says in this verse, with understanding. And that word, that Greek word, talks about knowledge. You see, men... 
our wives need our mental presence. Again, we're talking about living in consideration of our wife. We may not necessarily understand everything that is going on in their minds or their hearts and their emotions of our wives, but men, we need to understand that marriage works best when we give our best efforts to know them and understand their needs. It requires paying attention. It requires getting to know everything we can about our wives. Moods and feelings and needs and fears and dreams. It requires communication. It requires turning off the television and putting down the phone and just listening to each other. Are there open channels of communication with your wife that she can tell you anything about anything in her life? Third, he says, giving honor to the wife. Men, our wives may not say this, but they need us to treat them like princesses and us their knights in shining armor. And really, they are. You see, that name Sarah in Hebrew translates to princess. And furthermore, if your wife is a believer in Jesus Christ, then she is a child of a king. She is a princess. And you are a prince. And how do you treat royalty? With respect, with dignity, with honor. Let me ask you, men, how much do you care about your boat? How much time do you spend with that boat? How much time do you spend with your tools out in the shed? How much time do you spend on the deer lease? How much time do you spend on that garden? Your wife needs much more time than that. She needs much more time and care and affection than all of these things put together. And giving honor does not mean giving in. You see, we can have disagreements as long as we still honor and respect one another. Giving honor means that we respect the feelings and opinions and desires of one another, especially our wives. And in fact, it is the differences that can often help balance the home. You see, one parent could be really permissive and say, whatever the kids want to do, let them do, while the other parent is extremely strict. And if they can deal with those differences with grace and honor and dignity, then that household will work well. Or one parent may want to make impulsive purchases all the time, while the other parent may be a stick in the mud and doesn't want to spend money ever. And if they can agree with or disagree with honor and respect and dignity, then you know what? That household can work out well. Giving honor doesn't mean giving in. Disagreements are not necessarily bad. What's bad is when we disagree without honor with one another. Finally, it says being heirs together. Dads, we must be spiritually considerate of our wives. For this purpose, moms and dads, we need to help each other spiritually. I've heard this for many, many years. A couple that prays together, amen. How much are we praying with our spouse, with our wife, with the mom of our children? How much are we spending time helping them in their spiritual relationship with the Lord? Because what Peter closes this verse out with saying is, is that we are co-heirs. We are heirs together of the grace of life. You know what that tells me? It means that her gift and her reward is not going to be less than mine because she's a woman. It doesn't tell me that she's a secondary citizen of heaven. It tells me that we are co-heirs. And that means that we are to help each other in our spiritual relationship. As I've said several times this morning, Marriage is messy. Parenthood is messy. It is just plain tough. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are not called to face this work alone. We have the Lord and we have one another to do this together. And so we must not divide ourselves spiritually from one another, but instead understand that we are in this thing together. 
Scripture teaches that in marriage, God brings together man and woman and makes them one. Bone of bone, flesh of flesh. All the while remembering we are co-heirs to the grace of life. And that's what it's really about. The grace of life is a reference to being born again through Jesus Christ. Have you been born again through Jesus Christ? This Mother's Day as we talk about submission. And I'm telling you right now, as I mentioned last week, the key to submitting is humbling ourselves, recognition of others, and faith in God. And the problem we often have with submission is this. It's the faith in God part. If you've never tied down that faith in God, you're going to have a hard time submitting to anyone. And I'm not just talking about husbands, authorities, bosses, any kind of thing that God is telling you. God tells us to submit to one another out of brotherly love. That's going to be tough if there's no faith in God. So this submission thing, it's don't let the hair on your, you don't have any hair on your neck because you're all lovely ladies, but don't let it get a rise out of you. Understand that this is something that God is using to train us and mold us to be more like Him. But if we've never had a relationship with Him, it's going to be tough. And so this Mother's Day, as you think about the gifts that your family got you, or maybe already gave you, or maybe, uh, maybe the, the gift that you're waiting to open that's back home, or maybe it's just the gift of their presence, whatever it might be, I pray you would discover the greatest gift you could ever get, the gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. It's an opportunity for all of us, not just moms, not just wives, but all of us, to turn our hearts to Jesus. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Close your eyes and bow your heads. Lord, I thank you for the patience of these wonderful people. I thank you for their understanding ears. Father, I pray that you would make sense out of any nonsense that may have come out of my mouth. Father, it's all about you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in all of us and change us. Father, that we would be more submissive to you. Understanding, Lord, the image of submission you gave us, the example of submission you gave us. Lord, this is not just a call for wives and mothers. This is a call for all Christians to submit in brotherly love, to uh, godly love in one another. Father, if there's any here this morning that have never submitted their lives to you as Lord and Savior, I pray during this time of invitation they would make such a decision. Lord, they would feel the call of your Holy Spirit saying, come and take rest in my spirit. Take my yoke upon you. Stop trying to live life on your own but take me, Lord and Savior, of your life. In your name I pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen.